Hello and welcome back to a Unity Moment, presented by Detroit Unity Temple. I'm producer Jesse, and your host this evening are. Good day and welcome once again to a Unity Moment. My name is Pastor Gregory Geis, and this is one of the program sponsored by Detroit Unity Temple, located at 17502 Second Avenue. We are so grateful that you're joining us once again for another wonderful experience. So I'd like to introduce my colleagues. Reverend Melanie Porch Donahue. Reverend David Stubbs. And we are so grateful that you're joining us from around the world, from places that we are so excited to know that we got listeners from places near and far from Jamaica, Brazil, London. Now uh, places from in the U.S. and U.K. and France. We're everywhere in London. Uh, you say Hungary, Netherlands, Germany. Oh, don't forget California, Georgia, uh, Florida, Michigan, Alabama. And I tell you, Bermuda, Argentina. It is just so exciting just to know that we got a listening audience that from comes from all over the world. So we just want to give a big shout out to all of our friends. You know, we're always glad to hear from any and everyone who sent us a note or just a thought and we just want to express to you how grateful we are to hear from you i have to share with you that the title of my talk is called the power of the lord's prayer yes and as i go into this particular lesson today sometimes there's a lesson that comes along that takes me down a journey that impacts my life. This is a lesson that if you have not read the book by Emmett Fox, The Lord's Prayer, we're going to look at it and in 20 or 30 minutes cannot take you fully into that lesson itself. So we're going to try to capture it in a way that can fulfill that. So we're going to have to bear with it. For those who don't know, I'm Pastor Gregory Geis. But let's take care of some housekeeping right now. We know that each month we reflect on the power of the month. The power of the month is Will. And the disciple is Matthew. Matthew. And the coordinating color is Silver. You got a lot of cheap sheets right behind me, so you should. And that power is location, is located in the center of the brain. Many of you may also know it as where the pineal gland is also directly in alignment with. The affirmation is, I choose my good based on spiritual understanding. My scripture is going to come from our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. But before I begin, let me take this moment just to center myself. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Show me thy ways, O Lord, and teach me thy paths, and lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Lord, allow me to be an instrument, to be your vessel on this particular day. I have to share something with you very honestly. There are some lessons that takes me into a deeper path because it allows me to open up a secret door 
and I have to study it because it brings out the best within me and it opens up my own, own journey. When we talk about the metaphysical meaning of will, I want you to share with you that will is that, as was spoke about, the executive faculty of the mind, the determining factor of man. What man's will or decree comes to pass in experience. Thou shalt decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee. Be careful what you will or desire or determine, because you will draw it unto yourself. And we want to go forward. Now I'm going to share something else with you. The basic foundation of my lesson is taken from the book Sermon on the Mount. How many of you read Sermon on the Mount by Emmett Fox? Raise your hand. It was a great book, wasn't it? But in that very last chapter of that book, he wrote something called the Lord's Prayer. And in that very beginning of the book, he describes it on that chapter, he says, this is a general introduction to scientific Christianity the form of a spiritual key to Matthew chapter 5th chapter, 6th chapter, and 7th chapter. He wrote his book in 1934. It was republished in 35, 37, and 38. But we also know that when we talk about prayer, prayer is a communion between God and man, and this communion takes place in the innermost part of our being. It is the only way to cleanse the perfect consciousness, consciousness and thus permanently heal the body. We all know that prayer is the highest, highest or the highly accelerated mind action known to set, step up mental action in man's consciousness and is synchronized with the Christ mind. But before I go further into that, I want to set the scene for the Lord's Prayer. I remember one time I was over at Charles and Gwen House and we wanted to try to come up with a meditation. So we tried to set the scene. I want to take you into what we were talking about. I want you to travel with me if I could create this scenario with you. Can you imagine what it must have been like if we were there at the time 2,000 years ago, you might say. What it must have been like when Jesus gathered his disciples and they wanted to go to that mountain place where the Sermon of the Mount took place. Can you imagine when he had all those individuals who were following him and they were walking along the trail following this man of light Visualize with me what it must have been like as he was walking along the trail and thousands of people were following just his energy, his light, his, this idea of this man who they had heard about. Imagine yourself being in that crowd and you just heard rumors of him and he's walking along the way and walking along the trail side and you're trying to catch a glimpse of him as he seemed to be moving up to this mountain. And there in that very placement, you look up with thousands of other people. Remember, they didn't have speakers then, which means you had to just listen very deeply, very quietly. You see, 
in that very moment, Matthew was recording. This is the only time period that his sermon was recorded. A lot of Jesus' words were never recorded, but in the fifth to sixth and the seventh chapter, it was documented and recorded. Imagine if we were there. For some reason, we may have all just been connected by spirit for the first time. Imagine when Jesus began to speak and the first thing he was talking about in the fifth chapter was the Beatitudes. Imagine when he got to the mountaintop and he stood still and he began to share with them the Beatitudes. And you heard from his very mouth the first time when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Imagine how those words rang down and, and they echoed across the sound. He had a tone in his voice that sort of you felt in your heart. Imagine how the whole crowd became still because they had to listen, not with the, just their ears, they had to listen with their heart. Imagine the hush that came over the crowd as they just became still and they listened and they listened as he said, blessed are they that mourn. That whole day he was speaking and teaching and everyone had to listen like never before. And he spoke continuously and he talked to them about their life and how they had to live their life. And finally, he took them to what became known as the greatest prayer of all when he talked to them about the Lord's Prayer. And he shared with them something so fantastic. But he gave them a prayer that history had called it the Lord's Prayer. David wrote the 23rd Psalms, but this was Jesus' special prayer that was called the scientific prayer because he wanted to leave something that will outlast the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He wanted to make sure that there was a prayer that they couldn't alter and only those who had ears to hear could understand it. It was a scientific prayer that would outlast time itself. It was a scientific prayer that unless you understood the key, unless you could unlock it, it wouldn't do you any good and you had to know how to unlock this prayer. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Because if you just said it, you couldn't unlock it. The Lord's Prayer was a prayer that had to be unlocked in order for you to benefit from this prayer. You had to know the meaning inside each word. You had to understand it and you had to align the words together within the order. It was almost like a lock. If I gave you the combination to a lock and if I told you it's 61525, but if you don't know how to turn each number, three to the left, four to the right, and then four turns back to the right, I don't care if you had the numbers, you can't unlock it. Yeah. You had to know then how to use the Lord's prayer in order to bring about 
the combination to allow the Holy Spirit to come into your body, into your presence, to be able to move so it can be valuable. So those just saying it, it doesn't always work because you have not aligned yourself with the universe. You have not aligned yourself in that divine order. So just saying it without taking in the consciousness of the Christ mind. So Jesus understood the development of the Lord's Prayer. And when Matthew Fox, Eric Butterworth tried to present that to us, you see, the great prayer, as they stated, is a compact formula for the development of the soul. It was designed with the utmost care for the specific purpose so that those who used it regularly with understanding will experience a real change of the soul. The only progress is this change, which is what the Bible called being born again. It is the change of the soul that matters. Mere acquisition of fresh knowledge received intellectually makes no change in the soul. The Lord's Prayer is specifically designed to bring this change about. And when it is regularly used, it invariably does so. You see the Lord's Prayer, powerful interpretation by Emmett Fox was designed that way so that we would know how to use it. See, as metaphysicians, we have to understand that there are keys to this. If you don't understand geometry and the formula how to use geometry, it makes no difference. You can't get to the answer. If you don't understand the formula in chemistry, it makes no difference. You can't answer the problems. So the Lord's Prayer, I don't care how many times you use it, you won't get the full benefit of it because you didn't understand how to unlock it. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. See, sometimes some people will say something over and over and over and not know how to use it. In the very sixth chapter itself, it goes like this. In the very fifth verse, it says, And when thou prayest, thou should, shall not be as hypocrites, uh, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, so that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their rewards. But when thou prayest, enter into the closet. And when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father shall see if in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetition as the heathens do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not yet therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth which, he be, which things ye have need of before ye ask. It says, after this manner therefore ye pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I want to share something with you. Eric Butterworth says this, the purpose of prayer is to seek oneness with God, not to make him one with us. 
Prayer does not change this consciousness of oneness is not prayer at all, even though we may say the Lord's Prayer a thousand times. He was given a series of dynamic truths to illustrate this. This statement, our Father, is a statement in itself that constitutes a definite and complete system of theology. It fixed clearly and distinctly the nature and character of God. It sums up the truth of being. It tells us that all men need to know about God and about himself and about his neighbor. If you're going into prayer and you have one ounce of division, you have canceled that prayer. If you have one ounce of racism, sexism, one ounce, you cannot bring pure water and drop some oil in it and expect it to be pure water. When you say, Our Father, you are holding to the degree we see the prayer says, Not my Father, but our Father. And this indicates beyond the possibility of mistake. The truth of brotherhood of man, it forces upon our attention at the very beginning the fact that all men are indeed brethren, the children of one father, and that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither chosen nor unchosen, because all men are brethren. That means when we want to operate in that divine spiritual embodiment, you cannot separate that spiritual oneness. You can't enter the doorway of the kingdom of heaven if you are already divided with that thought. It's the first doorway. Every line is a doorway that you have to unlock. So as you line up this prayer, you have to go through each door with the mindset of the presence of God. And as you go through one doorway, there's another doorway you have to unlock. The second one says, Our Father who art in heaven. He explains that that is the nature of God, to be in heaven and of man on, to be on earth because God is cause and man is the manifestation. The important thing is to realize that God is in heaven and man on earth and that each has its own role in the scheme of things. Although they are one, they are not one and the same. Jesus established this point carefully when he says, Our Father which art in heaven, your consciousness is the plane of heaven. Whatever you think in your mind, what's going to happen? I don't hear you. It's going to be the manifestation in your outward life. Yes. If it's trash in, it's going to be trash out. Yes. You can't live in a duality. See, to walk through this prayer, our Father who art in heaven, you're bringing in that awareness into your life. And then you have to manifest it out on the outer world. But if you're living in a duality, that prayer is not going to work for you. I don't care how many times you are saying it. 
I don't care how many times you're trying to live it, but if those first two verses are out of order, it cancels the whole thing. Yes. Hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed has the same meaning as holy, whole, wholesome, and healed or healed. So we see the nature of God is not merely worthy of our veneration, but it's complete and perfect and altogether good. Hallowed be thy name means thy nature is altogether good, and thou art the author of only the perfect good. It's a vibration of goodness. When you say that, you're taking it into you, not only your consciousness, but into your entire being. You have to be that embodiment of that name. You see, many of us can't walk it. Many of us can't walk it. We fail. I have failed at times. You see, that's a heavy prayer, a heavy coat to put on. Peter couldn't walk it. It's a heavy one to bear. When you put that coat on and you say that prayer, it causes you to get on your knees, doesn't it? It causes you to get down and say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Because that name, some old gospel song would say in the name of Jesus. You see, we didn't understand at times we would say that song in the name of Jesus. They were saying it so with repetition, but they were just singing it because it was so rotely able to sing it, but they didn't understand how it would be thy name. And they didn't realize the power that was behind it. When sometimes we say things because there was always just by rote experience and we would just say these things. But when you examine the power that comes with that, and then thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In this month of will, that part is so critical because this is where the change agents start taking place. Each man is a perfect idea in the infinite mind of God. The plan is imbued with a ceaseless urge fulfillment. This is God's will, the ceaseless longing to express himself and perfect him, perfect himself in his creation. The decree is, let that perfect ideal which I am in spirit unfolding me and through me, let the divine will lead me into an outer manifestation of that which I am. That was according to Eric Butterworth. Thy kingdom come means that it is our duty to be ever occupied in helping to establish the kingdom of God on earth. We don't want to walk it. We want our will to be done. We don't want to do God's will because it's hard. It means sacrifice, to make your life a living sacrifice. It doesn't mean that you have to do what others do. You might be a street sweeper. You might be a storekeeper. You might be a teacher. You might be a parent. It's not what you do, but how you do it. To do it in the best of your ability to serve God from whatever point on that circle you may be at. 
No matter what point on the circle you may be living, you can serve God's will. Are you trying to see what I'm trying to say? Because all of us, no matter, in that 360 degrees, there's a place for all of us to establish the kingdom of God on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. If heaven is the consciousness of God, we have to bring that presence here to make sure we're loving one another, to make sure that we're extending that perfect place. Give us this day our daily bread. It is the will of God that we should all lead healthy, happy lives, full of joyous experiences, that we should develop freely and steadily day by day and week by week as our pathways unfold more and more unto the perfect day. It is its inner and most important meaning, our daily bread signifies signifies the realization of the presence of God. And bread represents the universal substance, the substance of the omnipresence of the Christ body. I wish I could have put everything Emmett Fox had in that little space right there. But I couldn't do it, because that is a lesson in itself. But I want you to know when it says, give us this day our daily bread. Every moment of your waking life is a part of your daily bread. When you awake each and every day, when you breathe in, you are taking in the manna of life. Your daily bread is how you live your life. Bread represents the universal substance, the substance of the omnipresence. How you give to another person. Your walk in life. I'm telling you, it is a divine idea. How you walk up and share with another person. Your family, your spiritual community is a part of your daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespasses against us. This clause is the turning point of the prayer. It is the strategic key to the whole treatment. And I want you to know that this prayer is seen as a treatment. God bless Charles Thomas and the whole forgiveness ministry because they have been trying to teach us something for years about the power of forgiveness. Yes. The forgiveness of sins is a central problem of life. Sin is a sense of separateness from God and is a major tragedy of human experience. It is, of course, rooted in selfishness. This indicates the working of the cosmic law of cause and effect. 
Give and receive, forgive and be forgiven. God doesn't need to forgive by any special act, for he is love and God cannot forgive, actually, because there can be nothing but love in God, according to Eric Butterworth. Let me share this with you. The problem in the world today that there is too much unforgiven energy. Amen. When you think about what is going on right now in our homes, in our communities, all around us, we have a serious problem of what is taking place. We are overran with unforgiven energy. Right now, there's an outbreak across the world in nations upon nations because one nation will not forgive another nation in acts of aggression against each other. We have more shootings and more violence and more individuals who want retaliation against one another. This part of this prayer and all the things I have talked about, if you went through every door and unlocked each one of them and you got to that door right there and there's an inkling in your heart where you have not forgiven someone that lays in the shadow of your mind, in a closet, in a drawer you unfold, that you have not released. The Daily Word talks about I release in the songs I release and I let go of something inside of you have not been released. You will not be able to enter into that doorway. That prayer shatters itself and falls apart because there inside of you are holding an unforgiven aspect. Not only for that person, but maybe it's for yourself. Something you may have caused or created that you have not forgiven yourself with. I have to share with you that part is critical because if you can't get through that door, you're blocked. That part of unforgiven energy can hold you back for years and it becomes a generational effect on your family and your community, culturally, and somewhere it blocks the circulation inside your body. We have to free that up, and I, I have to take that on myself, and I ask God to show me within myself in the booklet, it speaks about asking God that you should ask for forgiveness daily. Yes. Daily. Yes. If there's some part within you that you have not freed within yourself, forgiveness is a daily job. And in this section, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I took both writers, Eric Butterworth and Emmett Fox. They had one agreement. 
that this word lead us not into temptation is a misleading and totally erroneous translation of the original words. As we all have heard and said, God would never lead man into temptation for light cannot lead you into darkness. This is simply affirming that the urge for expression of our potential is so great that it would never leave us comfortless in trial. It will never abandon us in confusion or in temptation, but it will indeed always be the very power of help and healing and deliverance. The more accurate translation, according to Eric Butterworth, is thou does not abandon us in trial, for thou art our preservation in confusion. The prayer is telling us that God will not fail or forsake us because there is a spirit in man that the Almighty giveth him understanding. You have to understand that. And one of the parts that, as I was reading, that was so mind-blowing, the higher you go up spiritually, the greater the trial. Yes. And that blew me away. I knew it. The higher you go, the higher you grow, the greater the trials and challenges. And I was able to see that and understand that. It's not God who's leading us. It's the fact that we began to experience greater trials and tribulations. The challenges become greater. It's almost like they leap at you. It's like a quarterback on a football team. Those linemen, those defensive linemen want to come and sack the quarterback. And that quarterback has to be quick on his feet and better be aware of the defense because they're coming at you. And the game get rough. So we got to remember that. God will never lead us into temptation. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The kingdom is this, this sense means all creation on every plane. For that is the presence of God. God as manifestation or expression. The power, of course, is the power of God. We know that God is the only power. So when we work and as when we pray, it is really God doing it by means of us. When you learn this prayer, study it. Say it every day. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In all that I seek to be or do or have, this is how Eric Butterworth ended it. He said, I humbly recognize that in the presence is my own power to think, my very aspirations. I will to commence my strength to keep on my power to achieve and the glory of my accomplishments. This is the truth. It is now done. So be it. Amen. God bless you.
encourage you to study that prayer and use it because it can change your life. So on behalf of A Unity Moment, we hope that you can take time and make a donation to help this program continuously go on. My name is Pastor Gregory Geis. Reverend Melanie Porch Donahue. Reverend David Stubbs. And we want to leave you with this thought. The, the light of God surrounds us. The love of God enfolds us. The power of God protects us. The presence of God watches over us. Wherever we are, God is. Have a beautiful week. And just continuously to know that you are the strength of the world. Yes. Blessings.